Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Money Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Our show covers financial news and research in topics that matter to our listeners. Money Talk Radio airs live at 6 p.m. Central on Thursdays. That's a change from our 4 p.m. Central uh, time slot. We're actually moving to that slot next week. Today we're still at 4 o'clock Central time. We also have uh, special episodes from time to time, so do uh, click the like button on our Facebook page, which you can find as by going to Facebook and searching for Money Talk Radio, uh, so you will find out about special shows that we broadcast you at uh, special times when it warrants. Simply, again, search for Money Talk Radio in the Facebook search tab. Now, today's show is titled Small Business Development and Networking with Ted Owen, a president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce. Ted Owen is our guest today, and he's here to give some advice on small business and networking. Under Ted's leadership, the Carlsbad Chamber and you, too, can weather the economic storm. Again, Ted Owen is the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and Owen, who joined the chamber in 2004, provides vision and direction for the second largest chamber in San Diego County with more than 1,500 member companies and organizations. Owen oversees a staff of 10 employees and is charged with fulfilling the chamber's mission of being the united voice of business, dedicated to the success of its members and enhancing the quality of life in the community. Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce website is located at www.carlsbad.org, C-A-R-L-S-B-A-D-E.org. We want to remind the callers today that we have a good show for you, and you can always call in with your uh, your points and statements as well. Telephone number 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 917-889-9732. We want to give you a general disclaimer that this is a general information program and the advice shared on the show does not constitute professional advice upon which professional relationships are built. Uh, communication with attorneys and finance professionals on our show does not give rise to these client relationships. ProServe Public Relations did not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. And finally, all callers may remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved. Want to let you know about uh, events. We do love give you event messages during our program at the quarter hour. And if you have an upcoming event you'd like to promote, please let us know. ProServe Public Relations engages in full-service public relations focused on law, financial, and small business professionals. We serve our clients with content development, event management, and media relations. You can give me a call at 312-505-2604 if you have more questions. Now, again, for a subject matter for today's show, during economic periods of downturn, many professionals find themselves between positions and many experienced business people decide to start their own venture. When your career path allows you to hang your own shingle as a consultant or service provider, there are many elements of a small business plan and marketing systems you should consider. Ted Owen earned a reputation for excellence working with the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce to improve awareness and build value messages for members. On networking, Ted likes to talk about net weaving instead of networking. And on small business development, Ted has advice regarding the timing, the pitfalls, and the keys to launching and surviving in a competitive marketplace. I welcome our guest, Ted Owen. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, Ted. I'd like to thank you for your valuable time in being on our show this afternoon. Uh, before I uh, go ahead and uh, 
fire some questions at you. Why don't you go ahead and tell our audience how it is that you became a president of the Carlsbad Chamber? And um, I, I'm assuming that uh, those of us don't go through college thinking, someday I want to be a chamber president. It's not something that always uh, made occur to people, but tell us your story. Well, actually, um, I started my working career as a U.S. Marine. I spent 22 years in the Marines, which is what brought me to San Diego, California to begin with. <clears throat> However, I was running a newspaper company for 15 years, and when I retired, uh, some friends had encouraged me to perhaps look at taking this job in Carlsbad, California uh, with the chamber because they were looking for someone with a business background versus a traditional chamber background. Not that the two aren't similar in nature, but they wanted somebody who was traditionally business. So I said, I'll do the job for a year, and I'm in my eighth year. So uh, I guess the year stretched out a little longer than I thought it would, but it's, it's a great job, and I have a lot of fun doing it. I think it's a perfect job for somebody who likes to counsel, build, build consensus, and is willing to listen uh, to problems, because while you can do group dynamics in chambers and all kinds of different formats, uh, there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff in a chamber world because everybody's problems don't always end up being the same. So, um, I, I, like I said, I spent all the time in the Marines. I did three college degrees, and prior to taking this job, I was the CEO of a public company and a newspaper company, two different newspaper companies. So it was a good good opportunity for me to use my skill sets and management that I had learned in those jobs uh, to help businesses grow. So that's my little story. Well, it's a good story, and I will tell you that journalism, editing, and publishing are such cornerstones to a real effective communication and use of information, and it's something that um, I will admit that when I first uh, – when I was first given my column by Law Bulletin Publishing here in Chicago, I really learned how to hone my writing, and I always thought coming out of law school that I was I was an effective communicator, but not necessarily the case. I've learned to uh, say it less, and it takes a lot of time to say less. So I think a lot of that applies to <laughs> good uh, information for those of us who are, are starting out in, in small business or networking or for those of us who are trying to relearn how to communicate using a lot of the different new media and tools that we have now. Um, again, my, prep, my presumption uh, for this show is that there are many people who have endured successful careers in one capacity or another, and then through economic change find themselves looking to do something else. And uh, for those of us who are, are senior in our careers or have other special niche uh, skill sets, it's not always easy to walk into another job or position. So many of us do find ourselves hanging out a shingle as a consultant. Um, and sometimes these things seem to attract new positions, and we are only a consultant for a short time. But some of us really find that uh, being on our own and, and running our own business and growing a business is certainly a good opportunity uh, in a time like this. So um, focusing on small businesses first, I'm going to uh, ask you, Ted, what is a good time to start a small business? How should we start it? And uh, what type of background do you need? Well, I think oftentimes, uh, I think first of all, about the, about the employment of our country uh, or the unemployment within our country. Uh, this is probably the largest unemployment number we've seen in, in my working lifetime anyway, as far as number of available people looking for work. And secondly, it's also the, the probably the most intelligent and most experienced workforce that's ever been out there looking for work. So if you run a job ad as a company, 
you're going to be amazed at the kind of responses you get from people with master's degrees and CPAs and even lawyers, I suppose, in some cases, applying for these jobs because people are desperately, desperately looking for something to, to tie their uh, economic little wagon to so they can make a few bucks better than unemployment. But I caution people to think that because they're unemployed and they have great skills that they can automatically start their own business. There's a number of principles about starting your own business that really need to give you need to give serious thought to. One is you don't care about going on vacation for about five years because once you're a one or two person operating entity, uh, it seems like you can never find money, time to step back from the company or that you can trust somebody else to run it. Secondly, you need to have some disposable income. Uh, you can only borrow so much money from friends and family or your credit cards. So you need to make sure that you can fund your organization for at least a year without any money coming in the door. Now, the money will come in the door, but you've got to pay expenses and salaries if you have other people or rent and other things. So you need to be able to fund yourself as a self-starting entity for a year. And thirdly, is to sit down with a counselor and somebody that can walk you through all the things about running a business that you don't know. Now, I always tell people when we have a success training center within our chamber, we own our own building, so we, have, we redid part of the building to allow people to come in and, and be taught how to run a business. And one of the things that we teach them is the person that's the easiest to teach and mold into being their own business uh, operator is one who says, I don't know what I'm doing. The difficult person to teach is one who comes in knowing everything that he, knows, he thinks he needs to know, and he's looking for you to validate it. I know all these things. I've got this great product or service, and I just want you to, to bless my business plan and my marketing plan. Well, the one who says they don't know what they're doing is the one you can actually sit down and have an effective uh, consultation with and actually help them. If there's 10 things that it takes to run a business, or 20, let's say 10, and you actually know three or four of them well enough to feel comfortable. There are five or six others that you really need to know, and you can't overlook them because the one you overlook is the one that ruins your business. Look at workers' compensation issues, paying your state economic development taxes, your EDD taxes, renting office spaces, renting equipment, hiring people and not checking their backgrounds, taking out business credit cards with interest rates that will drive you into the, to the next county. So... Some of the things that people don't know, they don't conveniently want to know because they're kind of boring and they're not very interesting. But it's a simple little thing that can ruin your business as easily as a failure of, uh, of major magnitude. So you've got to be able to say, I don't know what I'm doing. You've got to be able to listen to people. And the interesting thing about our anatomy is God gave us two ears and only one mouth. So we're supposed to listen as, twice as much as we talk. So you need to be receptive. Um, so while people are unemployed and while they do have great skills, uh, before I would encourage someone to open their own business, I would encourage them to give some thought to finding one or two other people in the same boat that they know or have a trust with or a, a knowledge of and sit down and see if they can't strategize doing something together. Because what happens with a one-person business is you have no one to talk to. And if you're afraid to say you don't know what you're doing, then you can't talk to anybody. So you kind of rough it and go through the process all of your own. And most businesses, many businesses that fail are purely because they're not prepared to deal with the issues of running a business, like taking some time off, like making sure that you have cash flow for a year, like making sure you understand that you've done a marketing plan as well as a business plan. 
So that's a lot of information, but I, I, I think the ideal person to start a business is one who's comfortable with all those things I just said. There, it's, I will agree with you, Ted, on the solo, uh, we call it solo pranoia. Some people, uh, and I, I, of course, I work with a lot of sole practitioners in law and finance, and um, oftentimes it's very true. When we don't have someone to bounce ideas off, uh, we're there to spin around in our own heads sometimes. So it is uh, often it's such a good idea to partner up and collaborate with other people. Uh, one of the things that you keyed in on um, is the business plan. I'd like to talk a little bit about a business plan. Uh, many of us who have not formulated a business plan before on our first time tend to overdo it and overcomplicate it. That's my opinion. Uh, Ted, what's your advice on business plans? Well, I think business plans are, are, are great roadmaps for what you're trying to accomplish because – once again, though, you need to have somebody to bounce the business plan off of who can – it's kind of like you type a document for one of your college classes, a lengthy paper of some kind, and you don't spell check it, uh, or you don't look for the little things like punctuation. Your professor writes a scathing comment across the, uh, the piece. Uh, a business plan is a great roadmap for getting you from beginning to end for your product, but you need to have somebody evaluate it. It's kind of like a credit reference almost. There, you got to talk to somebody that is legitimately knowledgeable about business plans and who will be honest with you and not afraid to tell you that this is perhaps not the right time or the right direction or the right product or the right way you're doing it. So, But most people will try to do it by the seat of their pants, and they don't think a written business plan is worth the effort. I disagree because when you start answering those questions from – there's a gazillion websites that, that give you access to business plan outlines. And it's kind of like uh, going on a big driving vacation. You don't just jump in the car with the kids and the family and say, well, where are we going? You have a plan. And where are you going to stay? And how much it's going to cost? And where are you going to get gas? And where are you going to go to the tourism sites? That's the same thing as a plan for your business. You don't want to go out there and just say, well, I got $15,000 I can afford to lose. Let's give it a shot. Well, the only thing that's possible there is you'll lose the 15000 because you do have to have a direction, and it doesn't have to be a complicated business plan of hundreds of pages. We published a book uh, called uh, The Success Guide to Business, and in it are dozens of stories about people learning the hard way and learning the right way about business, and there's websites attached to each of those lessons so people can get on them and look at dozens of websites. Libraries are good sites, the SBA offices, chambers of commerce, there's a gazillion places you can get um, blanket or open, open-ended uh, business plans. Again, you have to make sure you want to do one, and you really do need to do one if you're going to spend your hard-earned money in a business. I agree wholeheartedly with the business plan, and I agree that you – well, my, my statement that I usually make to people is, have a plan, work the plan. But if you don't have a plan, you can't work the plan. And if you have a simple plan at first, create a simple plan. But know what you're selling, know what you're doing. I saw something where uh, on TV where the CEO of Starbucks had a one-page document that said everything that people needed to know about the company, where the company was going, what their uh, mission and values were, and I really appreciate that one-page document. Of course, many business plans are very complex, um, but it's certainly there are so many resources, as Sid points out. Uh, we're going to pause for our first break, but afterwards, I want to ask Ted his thoughts on psychology. Um, <clears throat> when working in business, I often think of the combination of skill sets 
one needs. Uh, marketing is important. Uh, other things that we studied professionally for our services are very useful, but also psychology and knowing how to sell people and not sell, how to actually create relationships. So I'm going to ask Ted a little bit about those after we pause for our first set of messages. And our first event that we want to tell you about today is from... Nancy Minard and Leaded Limited here in Chicago. This is an event concerning drug use. It's an MCLE event, and the Illinois Supreme Court approved four hours of professional responsibility. So this message is really for our lawyers out there. If you know any lawyers or judges who would be interested, you should uh, share this with them. The event is titled New Threats and Concerns in Drug Use, Abuse, and Addiction in the 21st Century. Now, this program will talk about the abuse and addiction to various kinds of substances, from prescription abuse to illegal substances, their long-term effects on individuals, their families, and the community around them. It will be of interest to attorneys in family law, criminal, juvenile law, domestic violence, and other attorneys who may face personal issues with substance abuse. Guests presenting at this event are Honorable Helen Berger, who's Associate Judge of Cook County Circuit Court, Bruce Jeffries, who's the owner of a national screening center in Houston, Texas, and Edward Noakes, a Chicago-area treatment provider, who will together discuss all of the phases of drug screening, treatment, and other remedies used by the court today. Again, it is new threats and concerns in drug use, abuse, and addiction in the 21st century. Now, this, again, is an appropriate event for judges, attorneys in several practice areas, and anyone who needs to know about the current methods and issues in drug use and abuse. Again, we're talking about prescription as well as illegal narcotics. Of course, group discounts are available for groups registering and non-for-profit agencies. Uh, attorneys practicing for those get a discount. There's also a financial hardship policy in place. You can find out more information by contacting Nancy Minard at Leaded Limited, and her email is Nancy leaded at gmail.com and I'll spell that N-A-N-C-Y-L-E-D-D-E-D at gmail.com. Now I will also post this link on the Money Talk Radio Facebook page so anyone listening to the show who wants to go to Money Talk Radio on Facebook can find the PDF with a link to the email and you can register for this event. I suppose you want to know when it is. I'll tell you. It's November 18th, so next Friday, November 18th, it's going to be from 5 thir- from 12, I'm sorry, from 12:30 in the afternoon to 5 o'clock p.m. located at the East Bank Club at 500 North Kingsbury in downtown Chicago. Free parking is included in this t- uh, tuition for this event. Again, November 18th, 12:30 to 5 p.m. Nancy Ledded at gmail.com. So Nancy Minard of Leather Limited, we thank you for this message today. Now we get back to our show with Ted Owen. And Ted, I want to ask you a little bit about psychology as I, as I suggested earlier. Uh, one of the things that I have found with, and we're, we're going to get to networking uh, shortly, but one of the things that I've found with um, chambers and a lot of chamber members that I've come in contact with is people lack the consumer psychology uh, in a sense sometimes and we uh, accidentally bombard other people and uh, inundate people with messages and and communications and I think that your background uh, from news and publishing is so appropriate. Can you talk a little bit about the psychology and how to really communicate with our with our friends in chambers? (laughs) Certainly. I kind of think that the the problem with communication in general is if people don't know how to uh, don't understand the various forms and channels that they can use to communicate their 
their message to people. For example, I'm an older business guy, uh, so don't send me a bunch of stuff. That's, don't, don't use the only uh, message to get to me as Facebook or one of those other uh, social media outlets because I don't use them. Um, secondly, I think people need to be confident in what they say. There's a saying in sales which most people fail to realize, and I'm a victim of it as my, myself, uh, is less is more. When you're talking to a client and making your presentation, there's a time when a pregnant pause is required while the customer thinks about what they want to do next. And most of us can't stand the 30 or 45 seconds that it takes to do that, so we start talking again, and we unsell the client if we had, in fact, sold them to begin with. So the psychology is that everybody does not know uh, as much about your product as you do. Secondly, you need to evaluate the time that you tell people you want to spend with them to talk about your product. So if you call somebody and say, can I come by and see you for 15 minutes on Tuesday, don't expect to spend an hour with them because they set aside 15 minutes. Don't assume that anybody knows anything about your business from ground up without you telling them. And you don't want somebody else selling your product for you. So you want to try to make sure that you can convey it, you understand it enough to convey it, you have your elevator speech ready because nobody wants to listen to 15 or 20 minutes of discussion before they get a chance to say anything. And fourthly, you need to be confident on time and look professional as a business person. There's an old saying my mom used to say, son, even if you don't know what you're doing, you should look good on the court. So by dressing appropriately for the call you're going to make, uh, prosperous-looking people are perceived as prosperous people because they look prosperous. If you go in looking a little disheveled and you're late for the appointment, you're out of breath and all these things, those are all items that make your, your selling of your product really limited. And so people, you kind of have to place yourself in the person's position that, you, that you're trying to sell to. What is it you would want to know about this product? And that's really all you need to tell them. I want to ask you next, Ted, and I thank you for your, your response on psychology. And I will agree that so many of us fail to pause and uh, let it sink in and make, um, I sort of talk about enticing people and, get, and teasing them a little, give them, let them know that what you have to offer is something of significant value to them and you, you need to create a, a message where they want that uh, as opposed to trying to shovel it down their throat as if they need it and they don't know they need it and you know but what's better for them than they know. So, again, take a step back yeah. and put yourself in the other person's shoes. I agree. Um, what Next thing I want to ask you is you've mentioned that fear. Uh, you talk about fear and how one handles fear as a business owner. Uh, a lot of this is a confidence game. How can we overcome our own, you know, we're our, our own worst or enemies sometimes in the confidence game. What are your thoughts? This is one of my favorite subjects. Um, I make a lot of speeches. The reason chamber executives get opportunities to make speeches is they generally can speak on the topic regardless of whether they're knowledgeable or not. They can speak about it, and they're usually free. And so you get an awful lot, awful lot of opportunities to speak. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Now, fear is a project or a word that affects our lives entirely from the day we're able to rationalize what's going on around us to the days that we say goodbye to everybody and we're gone to some other eternity somewhere. False evidence appearing real is if you read something, hear something, or discuss something with people long enough, you'll start to buy into it, especially if what you're hearing sounds rational to you. The reason you see so many people afraid of the economy today is because they believe the headlines that they read. 
newspapers have a tendency to want to tell you the very worst thing that you can experience. And so they feel like warning you about them is their job. No issue is too small to be blown out of proportion. So fear can drive us in a number of ways, and it's doing it in our economy today. Why is there fewer jobs being created? Why is the housing market so sideways? Why do we care so much about Italy and Greece, and why is our debt so All these things are worrisome. In the government business, which is where most of our troubles seem to be lately, they deal with a thing called trial balloons. So they're going to throw something out into the newspaper media and the media itself and say, we're thinking of, the Democrats are thinking of fine-tuning Social Security and making dramatic cuts because it's a, it's a, a program we no longer can, can afford. That throws the whole world upside down because of the fear of it, not only those who are getting Social Security, about to get Social Security, or want to get Social Security. So fear is a measure of our confidence in what we do. And the reason entrepreneurs, I believe, are far more successful than many business people is they don't have a great quotient of fear acceptability in their bodies. They don't mind failing. Entrepreneurs are like, well, it's a French word means crazy person, but they, they tend to they tend to throw things up against the wall time after time, and eventually something will stick. If we don't have a good plan, and we don't have the ability to finance it, and we don't have a really good grasp, then we're a poor entrepreneur, because we throw our idea on the wall and it doesn't stick, that's it, it's over. So fear can run your life, adjust your life, moderate your life, but you have to learn how to deal with it. Not, not being foolhardy and taking stupid risks and things like that, but you can't fear failure. Failure is not a bad fear, actually, because if you do fail, you can learn a lot from it if you want to. Matter of fact, Thomas Edison's favorite quote of mine of Thomas Edison's is that he failed his way to success. And after all, he only had 100 patents, so what does he know? So here's a word we have to come to grips with in our social life, our personal life, our business life. Um, the reason some people outperform others in their business as far as market share is, some people just aren't as fearful as others. So when the time gets tough, some people pull back, cut their prices, prostitute their rates, lay off people, shrink their marketing budgets. And the guy who has less fear in his body will say, you know what, this is a good way to take market share away from my competitor. I'm going to step up my marketing. I may have to cut something else to do that. But I'm not going to cut back on the essentials of getting my message out to my customer. So fear can be a, a regulator, a governor, a moderator, any way you want to describe it. But it's something we can't get rid of, but it is something we can deal with. Well, yeah, I'd like, Ted, I'd like to key in on something that you brought up that has been much a buzz lately that I've heard about, is cutting and dropping prices. There was a recent article about a lawyer, and I can't believe, I'm a publicist, and I never would have let this happen, but this person agreed to have their name printed um, in an article that talked about working for 15 to $20 an hour as a lawyer uh, for someone else doing whatever they're doing. And it, what happens is the word on the street, which is where so many people get their pricing, I mean, most lawyers I know ask other people, what are you charging? What are you charging? And look at geographic location and then practice area, and that will determine the rates. And if we have people who are diluting, uh, the, the, people are really diluting the market value of services because market value determines what, uh, what people charge. And if, if everyone starts dropping their rates, we're artificially affecting the value of other things. And I told so many people, I refuse to drop my prices. I just insist on finding clients who are better matches 
who can afford the services. And again, using this time to uh, strike people who really need help and who can afford to pay for the help, as opposed to people who are, uh, you know, kicking the ball around looking for someone to help them, but they can't really afford it in the first place. So I, I think that um, as far as price dropping, let me uh, ask you a little to talk a little bit more about that and your thoughts. Well, when you start to deal with the prices of your products, most people will say uh, that dropping your prices is about as much damage can be created with dropping prices as it can be with pricing your product to begin with. And I met a guy when I was teaching college one time who was an avid camper, and one of the problems with camping is the cold temperatures in a little icebox in a camper don't tend to stay stable. So things on the top of the shelf, uh, one temperature and the things on the bottom show another. So he created this little fan with a D-cell battery and he'd stick it in the refrigerator and it would circulate the air and his beer would be cold when he got to his campsite. So he started getting people seeing his products and he wanted to, they wanted to have one. And he says, well, I just do this as a part-time thing. You know, I do it on weekends with my buddies and it's not a product we sell. And long story short, they ended up being convinced that they should sell it. They did some test marketing with campsites and different kinds of programs and found there was a great need. While there were a couple of competitors, they thought theirs was better and they could price it better. So how they priced their product? They added up all of the product costs, which turned out to be $8.40. And so they said, well, let's just double it. We'll charge $17 or $16.95 and we'll be okay. Their closest competitor with a substandard fan, just like theirs, charged $19.95 as his cheapest price. So they sold 100,000 copies each, and the guy with a substandard product made $300,000 more because he wouldn't change his price. He priced it more accurately for the marketplace. And the guy who thought just by doubling his cost of expense to develop his product would make him all the money in the world. So once you've mispriced your product in the first place, you turn around and start to bring the price down, and people lose confidence in your product. If you're willing to prostitute it and do it two for one and 50% off, I love these TV commercials where you can get the product for free. They advertise some stain remover or whatever it is, and it's free because that's how much confidence they have. All you have to do is pay postage and handling. Well, if you've ever bought one of those things, the postage and handling can be 15 or $20, and you can buy the product for 9 bucks at the Home Depot and not have to pay the 20 bucks. But the idea that it's free is a way for people to, to perhaps purchase the product. <clears throat> if you have no confidence in your product and you don't have the value in the, in the first place, lowering the price will only take a little bit longer for you to go out of business. People will ultimately just find that it's a substandard product and that's why you're, you're bringing the prices down. I think you have to do market research and that is simply going to stores that sell products like yours and see what they're selling for. Not only your product or similar products, to see what kind of flow and ebb there is between the selling of the products. Because you can position your product at a different price by, by giving some discounts to people without reducing your rate. And discounts mean for the month of May or between the 12th and the 15th, you can get a discount off of whatever. But then eventually the price comes right back to full price. You have to have confidence in your product or your service or you shouldn't be in business. And prostituting the rate is not the way to stay in business. This all brings us back to the fear concept, I think, as well, that uh, I think people have a tendency to, at least I know with the service industry, which is mostly what I deal with, um, and people tend to uh, try to under uh, undercut everybody else to 
to get uh, to get more clients. But the person who's charging less sometimes has the appearance of being maybe not as good. So very interesting, the uh, pricing of products and services. So many resources, again, and uh, product research. Ted, do you have any resources that come to the top of your uh, mind as far as people who are looking into doing product research and pricing and they've never done that before? Anything you can think of off the top of your head? Well, the thing that we teach our members, most importantly, is just to ask other people who are in business. It's kind of uh, odd to think about, but if I'm going to open a dry cleaners and I need some advice on it, would it be an incorrect assumption to ask a dry cleaner that's operating already in my business area uh, what the, the trials and tribulations and pitfalls are? If you ask them directly, they probably wouldn't help you, but if you're in a chamber or some association where they can represent you, you'd be surprised how much people will give you information. And the reason they do that is they're big-hearted people, first of all. Secondly, a bad restaurant, a bad dry cleaners, or a bad business in any industry hurts the whole industry. If you want a dry cleaners and I'm going to start one and be a competitor of sorts in your city, I don't have all the customers. You don't have all the customers. So we want is somebody in our business that does as good a job as we do so that the industry itself doesn't suffer because of one misguided uh, business operator. And you see it happen all the time where people uh, uh, think they know everything and therefore when they start diddling around with the way business is done, you see it a lot in uh, advertising for carpet cleaning companies and uh, drain pipe cleaners and things. They offer all the discounts and sometimes the product doesn't get get the job done. So asking people how they, how they do their product, even if it's not a competing product, you just pick a product of somebody you know and say, how did you figure out how to, to, to price your service or your product? And the formulas for, for all of the products and services are not that different. It's just a matter of what it is, whether it's a lawyer or whether it's a carpet cleaner or whatever the industry is. So by asking people the question, I think you'll find that most people will give you the answer. I will agree with that, and I know when I started my business, the service industry business, I just started asking questions. What would you pay for this? What would you pay for this? How, where's the value here? And uh, I think that we're going to talk a little bit about this maybe in networking uh, after our next break, but branding, branding is really uh, attributing value, in my opinion, finding value and communicating value. And uh, we'll be back with more with Ted Owen after our, our next break. And at this point in the halfway show, I want to tell you about a resource. Uh, this is the Money Talk radio show. So we want to tell you about a firm called Market Gauge. Applying insider knowledge gained from years of professional trading experience on and off the floor, running money for major New York hedge funds, and currently managing a hedge fund, Market Gauge's master traders created the powerful proprietary web-based software tools known as HotScans, VigView, the Nuggets List, and the ETF Monitor. These subscription-based tools have been built for thousands of individual traders as well as institutional clients such as Reuters, Barron's Online, Fidelity, Intershow, and Townsend Analytics. Market Gauge, again, has great products for traders, uh, for the retail and the individual trader. You can find them at marketgauge.com, and that's market, M-A-R-K-E-T-G-A-G-E. 
G-U-E, I'm sorry, market, M-A-R-K-E-T-G-A-U-G-E dot com. Sorry about that. Uh, Marketgates.com. We want to remind our listeners as we get back to our show that many of you do find our broadcast links in your social networks, and many find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. We thank you for all your support in sharing our programming and suggest that you share links with those you uh, believe might find value in uh, several of our shows. So, again, we appreciate all of our listeners. Now, getting back to our discussion with Ted Owen, we talked about small businesses in the first part of our show. Our second half, we want to talk a little bit about networking, and I want to jump right into this uh, concept that Ted talks about, not network, but instead of focus on net weaving. Ted, can you explain the difference there between the two and talk about the benefits of net weaving and its main characteristics? Well, networking is a very traditional form of um, uh, people inter- interfacing, interchanging uh, ideas and, and things together. We chambers are notorious for having things like sundowners and business after five events where after five o'clock you have some wine and cheese and you provide a scenario at a site someplace where people want to get together and talk and and you switch business cards. It's like a switching card-a-thon. You see more switching going on than, than it's imaginable, but that's what we teach people to do. But net weaving is quite different. If I take... Um, 10 business cards with me of my own, and I go to a luncheon event to hear somebody speak, I don't think that I'm successful in networking myself or my business if I don't get give away my 10 cards and get 10 cards in return. So what happens in events is people tend to go to these things and they get their registration little name tag, and they look around right away for somebody that they know, and as soon as they find somebody they recognize, they go talk to them. So they spend the whole half hour of reception time where you're meeting people talking to somebody they already know. Then they flick the switches and say, let's go in and eat. You didn't buy a table, you just bought a seat. You go into the event and all the tables that are purchased by companies are filled up or filling up and you look around until you see somebody you know. Then you go over and you say, is this seat taken? You sit with them. You eat the food, you listen to the speaker, you get up and say goodbye to your friend and you go back to the office. You gave away no cards and you got one in return. You spent three hours of your time, 50 bucks for lunch or dinner, and you didn't gain anything. Taking the same scenario all the way to going in to get the uh, reception, you see a friend you know, wave at them, and move on to looking at name tags to find people whose names, I mean people that you don't know, and look at the name of their company as well as their own name, and start to formulate ideas about what companies that you find on name tags that are actually businesses that you should know that you don't have anybody that that you've contacted in. So you know somebody new now if you just start talking to them. So maybe you pick up a couple business cards at the reception. You go into the luncheon or dinner, and you look around, and you see your couple friends at tables, and you wave at them. You look for the table. Usually there are tables of eight or ten. So let's say you've got a table of eight, and there are six people sitting there, and there's two empty seats, and you don't know anybody. That's the table you want to sit at. So you go down and you ask the person that's sitting there if there's anyone at this seat, and they say no, and you sit down. Introduce yourself to the person on each side of you, and during the salad course, which is when everybody's talking and munching away on the greens, you get up and take your little handful of cards around to everyone else at the table. They're used to seeing networking happening, so you switch their card. Can I get your card? Here's my card. I get you, blah, blah, blah. So now you have your 10 cards. You listen to the speaker, you eat the food, the hotel was nice, it wasn't expensive to get your car back, and you drive off. Now, you spent three hours, 50 bucks, just like any other deal, but you got these 10 cards, what the hell do I do with them? So you go back to your office if it's a luncheon, or you go back to your office the next morning if it was a dinner, 
and you analyze those 10 cards. You actually pour over them and try to remember what you learned as you did the card exchange, if anything. Pick three or four of them, which is a pretty good response. Pick three or four of them that you can actually pursue. What do you do with the other six? Well, you can put them in a stack with a rubber band. You can put them into a card scan into your computer. You can throw them away, or you can stack them up on your desk and look efficient. We teach people to take those cards and find people that they are used to doing business with that are belonging to organizations like chambers or committees and find out who can use that card, who could use that business lead that you don't have any need for but you've already made. And you take that card and you find that person that you run into from time to time that you know could use it and you pass it to them. So if you do something four or five times for somebody else before you ask them for any help at all, you'll find that you'll get 10 times the response. We started a program, we have three of them now, but they were started calling themselves NetForce. NetForce is we picked six chamber members. One was the chairman of NetForce and five members. We taught them all about net weaving, which is a concept written in a book by a couple of guys out of Florida, and I can't remember the name of the book at the moment, but it has the word net weaving in it, and it's at most bookstores. But we had these six people, and one was a chair, and when they finally signaled to us that they understood net weaving and helping others is as important as themselves. Then we let them pick the seventh member. And then when the seventh was comfortable, we let the seven pick the eight. We didn't do any picking at all. They were supposed to meet one Friday a month from 7.30 to 9 in the morning. That's a year-old organization now. There are 36 members in the first group. They meet every week, not once a month. They don't meet 7.30 to 9. They meet 6.30 to 10. And in that group of 35 or 36 that has formed a year ago, 25 jobs have been created. Business in a 10 to 12-fold multiplier have been created because all 35 or 36 of those people are unpaid salespeople for everybody else. So I'm a member. I get 35 salespeople that I don't pay. But they bring me leads in, in business. I, in turn, give away my cards that I don't use. And all of a sudden, everybody's weaving back and forth in their business. And here's an example. We had a guy that, and by the way, you can only have one industry uh, of each. So there's 35 people in 35 different industries. So one guy makes trophies, the other guy makes gift baskets. And you kind of sound like they do the same thing, except the audience for a gift basket is quite different than the audience for plaques and trophies. They're just, they're just a little different. So we asked the guy that makes trophies uh, if he wanted to join, and you can test drive for one week. You can come and attend, and if they don't like you and you don't like them, you're not invited back. Um, so what happened is the guy with a gift basket said, look, you know, we do some similar stuff. I'm going to start giving you a card of everybody that I do business with that buys a basket from me. Would you then give me a card of a lead from everybody that buys trophies from you? These are business purchases now, not PTAs and Little League teams. They met together every week for three months with 12 new contracts of business between them they never had or never would have had or never would have thought of having if they hadn't joined NetForce. Net weaving is making it just as important a mission for you to help them as it is what you expect to get out of the project. That's net weaving versus net weaving or networking. Very impressive suggestion. If nothing else I would get from listening to what you just told me, I would write down and remember to pass on business cards to those uh, you know, contacts that I can't necessarily use or are not a good match for me, but on to 
onto other people. That's a valuable, valuable message there. We're going to pause for our final event message to then get back to talking a little bit more about networking and uh, some tips on just getting started. Again, I really like this net weaving concept. But our final message we want to uh, let you know about, we're going back to the world of finance for a minute. Uh, our friend Carlo Licata is a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. And Carlo is our point man on a series of upcoming radio shows, educational events, and training webinars. As we watch our market roller coasters, we need trusted friends in finance to address specific trade groups and share information about new products, services, and methods in unlocking capital and making sophisticated moves without risking the farm. For schedule of our industry events, please be in touch with me, Nick Augustine, by using the contact portal on our website, proservepr.com, which is P-R-O-S-E-R-V-E-P-R.com, and I will give you the list of the upcoming uh, industry shows and events, and the key here is to help people who already have solid investment portfolios, again, unlock some of the capital and equity that they have to grow and increase their ventures without uh, causing margin calls and other uh, potentially troublesome <clears throat> issues financially. So, again, something that not everyone knows about, and we're going to do a series of these shows to specifically addressing different groups. So a very good series, and I'm looking forward to it. Again, again, Carlo Licata from uh, Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. Now, getting back to our program with Ted Owen, CEO and President of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, I want to remind anyone who is just tuning in now or, or uh, has clicked through the program that we did start talking about small businesses and who, what, where, when, and why, what you should know in starting a small business. Then we started talking about networking, and Ted shared with us the concept of net weaving and the difference between that and networking. We also talked a little bit about the NetForce group uh, through which the Carlsbad Chamber really developed an in-depth networking for, for chamber members and actually is seeing some really tremendous results. Um, again, very good. Uh, I like the time commitment there, the 6.30 to 10.30, as you were saying, Ted. Um, moving forward and talking more about networking, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the 17-second commercial. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if that is the same as an elevator speech. And um, I know that one, my only comment I want to make first about elevator speeches is sometimes there's, there's a time to tell someone what you do, um, but you can do so without sounding like a robot. Uh, as if someone just pressed a button and you started talking. Uh, I say talk to people like a human being, but be able to communicate what you do effectively and not be presumptuous because not everyone knows industry jargon. Not everyone is going to understand. And the more simple I, – I, I'm, I'm sure I'm stepping on Ted's time here, but I think that the more uh, – simply – more sim – I can't get the word right, but – the more simple our message is, the easier it is for someone not only to listen, but also to remember that, because they're going to remember if it was real simple and easy. I don't know. Just my thoughts. Ted, tell us about 17-second messages. Well, before I do that, I wanted to finish this net weaving thing. There's a book that we give everybody in NetForce, and you can buy it at a bookstore anywhere in the country. It's a national bestseller. It's called The Go-Giver, G-I-V-E-R, and the rest of the title is A Little Story About a Powerful Business Idea by Bob Berg and John David Mann. This is a book about five by seven, like an old TV guide size. It's 120 pages. And there's an old saying in our lives, we've all heard it, You get, <clears throat> if you're willing to help people, you get more than you give. I mean, you give more than you get. The more you give, the more you get. And this book is not a textbook or a leadership book. It's an actual novel 
about a sales guy who couldn't understand why he wasn't as good as everybody else in the same company. He was always the one running scared at the end of the month, and et cetera. And there's, it's a book you can read in about an hour. We make every one of our people in NetForce buy it. It's a cheap book. It's, uh, I don't know, 20 bucks, 19 bucks. This is a book that you not only can change your life with, but everybody you give it to and ask to pass it on changes their life. This is a really, truly gift that you can give somebody they can enjoy and turn around and give it to someone else who will enjoy it as much. So think about The Go-Giver um, by Bob Berg and John David Mann. We don't get anything for selling the book. I just think it's a great book. The 17-second commercial, we do a product, or a, a program every month called First Friday, obviously the first Friday of every month, for about 250, 300 people at a time, where we teach them how to network first before they learn net weaving. They've got to learn how to network. The 17-second commercial is an organizational process, putting your, your skill sets to test as to whether or not you really know your product. If you can't describe your product in 17 seconds, you don't know your product. When someone says you have 17 seconds to tell us about your product and why we should buy it, you have to rehearse that a lot. You have to be able to find out through talking to the person that you're going to give your 17 seconds to how receptive would, they would be. Are they just joking? Are they really a serious buyer? Uh, how prepared are you to, to adjust your speech according to the person you're talking to? And a lot of people do use the word elevator speech. It's that brief moment between floors on a ride on an elevator that you can tell your story. What we do with the 17-second commercial is we make them stand up in front of all 300 people and give a 17-second commercial about their business. Now, if you've ever been a little shy of standing before a group, this is not the group you want to go to because we're going to put you to the test. Part of First Friday training for our people, our members, is they have a facilitator at every table. When you come into the event, you draw a number out of a bucket, you go through the breakfast buffet, and you sit at the table that you drew the number out of, and if you come with someone, you can't sit at the same table because this is about learning to meet new people, not sitting and lunching with your old friend. You can do that anytime. So you pick a number, you sit down, there's a facilitator, and at a point during the training for that breakfast, in which we have a guest speaker for 20 minutes and all that, there's a time when the, when the 10 of you, minus the um, facilitator, so the 9 of you, are going to get two minutes to talk about your business and go all the way around the table. When you're done... We're going to go back to the beginning and say, okay, Mary, you were first. Give us 17 seconds on your business. And if they do that a couple of times, they get pretty good at it after the fear is over. <laughs> um, but the 17-second commercial is a way of being able to spread enough information out there for your person you're talking to well enough so that they're willing to say, geez, I need to know more about that. Can you give me a call? And here comes his card. Or if you'd like to know more, here's my card. It's sort of baiting them into wanting to know more about your business. I like the 17-second uh, rule, and I have heard about San Diego Chambers, and, and uh, uh, more more so uh, the San Diego uh, San Diego County uh, uh, Bar Associations, and and a really good quality group of people who will uh, I've heard of this will hold you to the table and make sure your 17 seconds are good. Um, we have about we have about eight minutes left, Ted. Um, what are some other tips on networking that you would suggest to someone who is new to the game? Well, I think one of the things that people overlook is where their customers are in the first place. You can do traditional advertising. You can do these huge, broad outreach programs. But if you really sit down and analyze what it is that your product does for people or service, 
Uh, you can spend a great deal of very productive time learning where your customer is hiding out or working out or where they are. And one of those areas that's of interest to me always is, is giving back to your community. So if you join the volunteer force and work for the MS Society or the Humane Society or whatever organization, uh, first of all, it's a feel-good deal. It's good for the community to give back uh, something, even though you may not have earned a lot of money in your business yet. But it just makes you a better business person to give back. That's kind of where this Go-Giver book comes from. And when you read it, you'll understand it uh, more. But um, once you start to work for an organization, you start analyzing who makes up the volunteer base and who the directors are. So, for example, if you're trying to sell a, a product to somebody like a hotel, if you make a product for a hotel, uh, one of the great customers for a hotel is the people that sell stuff to hotels, not just the customer who lives in the hotel or the visitor. So you kind of need to analyze who would use your customer and go to sort of unorthodox methods uh, to find customers for that business. But finding out who else belongs to the Humane Society board or works at the Humane Society is the same as going to a lunch where you get the business cards. When you go to an event for a, for a volunteer group, Talk to the people because most of the people that are volunteering like you are quality people. They have good, good reasonable paying jobs, and they can afford to buy products. The question is, do they want your product? So never do anything in your business that you don't feel lends itself to your business. So don't get into a bunch of boards of seats and things to make yourself feel important if they don't bring back any dividends to your company. There's not that much spare time available. But if you can just do one to feel good, that's okay. Don't join two or three things that take away valuable service or time from servicing your industry. Another thing that I uh, see quite often, and I agree with the advice of being careful with your time because your time is a valuable asset. And for those of us who bill for our time, that's revenue that we're giving away. So opportunity costs to attend committees, and whatnot, uh, we do a cost benefit, and if we're not if we're not generating business, it doesn't make sense. But I agree very much in paying it forward and giving back to the community. Um, some additional tips you have, Ted, on coming back to the office, and you say with following up when we have a stack of business cards, what do you find is the most effective uh, follow up plan uh, for those trying to create a system? When should they follow up? How much should they follow up? Should they have a phone call? Should they do lunch? Uh, or is it just take it as they come? Or any good uh, rules of thumb or suggestions you have, again, for someone who's new to uh, the concept of what do I do with these cards I just collected? Well, first of all, I, I believe there's a gazillion answers to your question, but the one that I personally try to portray to people, much like earlier when I was saying don't go to an event just to see if they have good food or if you've never been to the hotel, you, need, you really need to work the room. But once you get those cards, I think it's imperative that within uh, 24 hours you convey either by email or phone call or some hard letter mail or some little note the thank you for meeting me and talking to me. And I was really fascinated in our short period of time we got to know each other could I come by and spend a half hour learning about your business? Not trying to sell them something at the outset, but to learn their business. Most people will love to tell you about their business because it's sort of open-ended bragging. You know, it's not like I'm gloating or I'm trying to uh, push myself onto you, but you've asked me, so I'm going to tell you about my business. So the idea there is to get in the door so that you can look around, 
see what their business is all about and see if they could actually use your product, either by visual observation or them telling you about your product. So if you're good at your business and you're going to look at somebody else's business and observe a lot, as Yogi Berra would say, you can observe a lot by watching. If you look around and see and you're able to apply something you see there to your product, you know, I make this uh, widget do-da-do-da, and I noticed that you guys are doing this thing over and over again. Do you have you ever thought about doing X? And even if it's not your product, you could be selling somebody else's product who's a friend or an associate that's done some selling for you. You know, I know I have a friend that I that I have an alliance with, and he makes the adapter to the AG widget doodah. Uh, I think I'll give him your name if you don't mind, and uh, maybe you two can get together and chat about how to improve your business. But I think within 24 hours, you have to correspond with them and thank them. Then the thing that we talk to people about is if you're reading your emails, I mean, today I had 420 that got through the screen. I don't know how that happened. But when you're reading your emails or you're reading the newspaper, I read three or four papers a day. When you see something about a customer or a potential customer, cut it out, move it into hard copy from your computer, put it together, put a note on it with your business card, and mail it to your future customer or your current customer. I read this today in the paper, saw it on the Internet, and I just thought of you, Mary and you send it off. thought you'd like to read it. Mary then will take the card that you attached and put it somewhere closer to her desk of, of visual observation rather than in a pile because you did her a favor. Even if she's read the article, you've kept touch with her or him, depending on who you're writing to, uh, but you've kept the light. So every time you see something that is important to them or you think it is, send it off to them. Now, you may never call them for you know, a week or two or three weeks or a month. But eventually when you call them, they'll remember you because you've done a number of things for them. Then you say, do you have 15 minutes for me to come by and tell you about my product? Or I noticed when we first met, you needed this or that. I'd like to talk to you about that. So um, I think it's important to do it right away, and I think it's important to keep in touch by just doing little nice things for them. I agree. And we're right back to psychology. And how would we want someone to treat us if they saw a note or something about our business, I mean, I would want someone to share that information with me. Hey, Nick, this looks like something that you might be interested in. Oh, thank you. Exactly. It creates goodwill. And it, it takes – and th these things, I, I suggest that if you re-listen re to this show and just write down a list of, uh, of points that – uh, that Ted's covered here today, I, I think that you'll be in good shape. Uh, we're running low on time. Can you give us some good contact information or any parting words of advice? I would tell you that, uh, first of all, my parting, my parting comment would be the shortest distance between two people is a smile. Nothing ingratiates people more than friendship or fellowship or a smile. Now, you don't have to know them very long to give them a smile, but recognizing people, remembering them when you see them, not necessarily by name, but you go up to them and say, hey, how are you? Repeat your name. They'll tell you who they are. Hopefully it will jog your memory and you can start the conversation. Uh, being able to remember people, places, and things are very important in cultivating business. Um, I look at the Internet, and if I don't know something, I just put a question into the Google thing, and when it pops up with the answer, I just start voraciously reading. Now, I'm not a very good technologist, so... It's probably more of a struggle for me. But I don't believe you can ever learn enough about your business to say you know everything about your business. If you can't learn something every day, you're just waiting for the departure of your business from, from existence. You have to look every day to improve your business. Customer service is the most overlooked product in business development I have ever run into in my life. 
Customer service is important. I went to a luncheon at a hotel one time, and my friend ordered a sandwich without some secret sauce. And he said, can I get this sandwich without the secret sauce? And she said, of course you can. This is the Hilton. I right. never heard a better I never heard a better customer service answer than, than that. Uh, no, I'll check with my boss. No, I'll look at the I'll ask the chef. Of course you can. This is the Hilton. And when somebody says, Can you do this to me? You say, Of course I will. Give me your card. Let me know what you need. I'll do that for you. And then do it. Because people like doing business with people they know, that they're grateful to, and that they trust. I agree so much. Ted Owen, thank you so much for your time. What's your website for more information? It's uh, Carlsbad, uh, www.carlsbad.org, and my name is just T-O-N at carlsbad.org. Thank you so way, much. Yeah, go ahead. By the way, we're not, uh, we're not the Carlsbad Caverns. A lot of people call us every day and say, how long does it take to go from your chamber to the Carlsbad Caverns? And we tell them 15 hours is 1,200 miles to Carlsbad, New Mexico. We're in California. Nice talking to you. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Again, this is ProServe Public Relations, and we want to thank all our listeners for this episode, tuning into this episode of Money Talk Radio. Our episodes are programmed to entertain you and bring you our finance industry professionals and guests the tips, tools, and news that you can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With our guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program and bring people together to share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Money Talk Radio, and we thank you for your time.